Good morning. You guys doing well? You guys sound a little rambunctious here. I think it's this group right over here. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's the youth. Youth leaders. You guys are out of control. Where's security? Hey, good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 17. This is our continuing uh, teaching series through 1 Peter. CrossFit is the title of this series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. The title of this weekend's message is Witness Stand. An atheist was seated next to a little girl on an airplane, and he turned to her and said, do you want to talk? Flights go quicker if you strike up conversation with your fellow passenger. The little girl, who had just started to read her book, replied to the total stranger, what would you want to talk about? Oh, I don't know, said the atheist. How about why there is no God or no heaven or hell or no life after death? as he smiled smugly. Okay, she said, those could be interesting topics, but let me ask you a question first. A horse, a cow, and a deer all eat the same stuff, grass, yet a deer excretes little pellets while a cow turns out a flat patty, but a horse produces clumps. Why do you suppose that is? The atheist, visibly surprised by the little girl's intelligence, thinks about it and says, hmm, I have no idea. To which the little girl replies, do you really feel qualified to discuss God, heaven, and hell, or life after death when you don't know crap? That's good. And then she went back to reading her book. That's a smart little girl. That's good, isn't it? So we're talking about witnessing, talking about witness stand. Take a look at your notes. Our calling isn't to be judge, jury, or jailer, but to be witnesses for Christ, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Literally, the word means martyr. You will have such an impact, or you'll have such an encounter with Christ so that it will so impact your life that you will be willing to give your life for him. And so for the Christian, all of life is a witness stand. We're on the witness stand throughout our whole life, and what does it mean to to give witness to Christ? It, It means to give testimony of the beauty and the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm convinced, and this is the point that I hope to get across to you, evidence that you really know God is that you really, really want to make him known. If you really know God, if you're really walking in vital union with God, you have a genuine relationship with God, guess what? You can't keep quiet. You won't be able to keep quiet. And uh, we certainly uh, see that throughout Scripture. An example I put there on your notes, Acts 4.20, the authorities threatened Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus. Do you guys remember what they said? We can't stop. We can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. We encountered the risen Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, and our lives will never be the same. And so that's what we're talking about. Witness stand this morning. You can see the notes are divided up into three sections, the purpose to share your faith, the power to share your faith, and then we'll look to the plan to share your faith. We'll draw that from our text. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our, our text. Father, we are delighted to be here this morning. Nothing, nothing compares to the wealth of your presence the comfort of your love, the strength of your power, and the incalculable value of being called your child. Wow. Lord, let us just this morning just soak in the reality of who we are in you. Father, we know that people who really know you won't be able to keep quiet about you. So, Father, may we know you, encounter you, experience you through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit this morning to the degree that we can't keep quiet about you. May our lives be a proclamation and a demonstration of the gospel that has the power for the salvation of everyone who believes. God, we also pray that you would bring our Mexico missions team home safe and sound today. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. So remember the last couple weeks, we we talked a lot about relationships. So this is also talking about relationships. It's about our, our relationship with those that don't know our Savior. But the last couple weeks, we talked about uh, marriage two weeks ago. And then last weekend, we talked about maturity checkpoints as it relates to really our relationship within the body of Christ. We looked at character, conduct, and then our convictions that drive that. And now we pick up our study in verse 13, chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That's really interesting that he would say that because these people are getting the living daylights beat out of them. They're being persecuted uh, for Christ. They're being martyred for Christ. And he says, hey, don't fear them. You don't need to fear them. But here's the key verse. This is a great verse for memorization here. I've memorized this verse years ago. It's just a wonderful verse. But in your hearts, he's given us really how we do that. How do we keep from being fearful of the world and the things around us? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense. That word defense there is where we get the word apologetics. And apologetics is the, just this, how to give a defense for the faith. Um, it's important to know what you believe, but it's also important to know why you believe what you believe. Because you may know what you believe, but if you don't know why, the why would be the defense of the faith, that would be apologetics, then you won't be able to hang on to the what. You'll drift from the what uh, when you go through suffering. So you need to have that rock solid foundation of not only what you believe, but why. Why you believe what you believe. Because suffering will, will undermine that if you don't know the why. And not only that, uh, uh, even uh, criticism you know, from skeptics, you won't be able to defend your faith. And so uh, that's, that's important to, to understand that. So make a defense, notice this, make a defense 
to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. So you're living with such a joyful, confident expectation in Christ that people would look at your life and they'd go, wow, I've never seen anyone respond to suffering quite like that. I've never seen anyone deal with the issues of their life quite like that. That's what he's talking about here. And then notice how he says how to do that. It's not an in-your-face kind of Christianity. Soapbox preaching where you're telling everybody they're going to hell in a handbasket. He's saying actually do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, notice he doesn't say if you're slandered, you're going to be slandered, okay? People will slander you. But when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior, by the way, you're going to have to have pretty tough skin if you're going to, if you're going to live the Christian life and if you're going to be vocal about that. And uh, so you need to have tough skin because you're going to be slandered and so when they revile your good behavior, you want to have a clear conscience, a good conscience in Christ. Let me reread that here. <laughs> Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Okay, so let's, uh, let's work through this. The purpose, the power, and the plan for sharing our faith. First of all, the purpose to share your faith. Verse 15, second part in verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense. How often is always? Always, yeah. So like, like 24-7, isn't it? I mean, it's just like always, always, always being prepared to make a defense, to be able to tell people why you believe what you believe. Um, you guys know that the, God's goal for you is to ultimately get you to be with him for all eternity. We call it heaven. That's where you're headed if you know Jesus. So when you committed your life to Jesus, why did he immediately take you to heaven? Why are you still here? Because if that's the ultimate goal, I mean, he could have very easily said, okay, yep, come on, let's go. All eternity. Which isn't a bad idea, actually. What do you guys think? Huh? I'm just like, hey, I commit my life to Jesus, he brings us home. Boom. Yep. There goes another one. You know, wouldn't that be interesting? But, uh, but he doesn't do that because... Why? He's got work for you to do. So why are you here? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes! No. Sorry. That's what uh, I guess our Declaration of Independence says. But actually, it's something much more meaningful. A greater purpose than life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's, it's to live for his glory. And, and by the way, all the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness won't give you the depth of satisfaction that only he can give you. You understand that? I mean, so you can chase after all that stuff all you want to, but when you start chasing after him, when you begin to seek him with all of your heart, that is where you're going to find life, liberty, and happiness unlike you've ever experienced before. And then it's in that, as you walk with him, as you know him, you're going to want to share it with others, and that's why he's got you here is so to know him and then to make him known. That's why you're here. And, and in fact, it's not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, yes, five times, not four times, but yes, five times we have the Great Commission. Uh, I messed up on the notes and actually I missed one. I'm missing one. You notice there's four there. You need to add John 20, 21. 
Great Commission. And, and so here at Desert Breeze, and I teach the GO, uh, GOL class, the Game of Life class. I would encourage you to take that class. I walk you through the five Gs of full devotion to Christ. We want to help unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ here. And the first G is genuine. That's someone who's made a commitment to Christ into a local church family, and you make that public through water baptism. And the second G is a growing Christian. You're committed to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth, one being... Uh, life change happens best in small groups. Third G is a giving Christian. You get involved in a local church family because every member is a minister. If you're a member of the family of God, you become a minister. You begin to look for places within the local church family where you can minister and help so that we can grow stronger, so we can hit the fourth G, which is a going Christian. And that's just the discipline of wanting to share your faith with others and learning how to do that and get involved in missions, and we do that all for God's glory. And so you really know if you're fully devoted to Christ, if you're truly a Christian, because I hear people say all the time, I'm a Christian, and then we use this kind of as a checklist. Okay, so let's see how you're doing here with these. And so that fourth G is, is going. So one of the signs that you are a disciple of Christ is that you will be a disciple maker. So are you making disciples? Are you putting any effort, when you think about it, what are you doing to help make disciples of Christ? Because that's why you're here. That's why you draw air into your lungs. That's why your heart beats. That's why he has not taken you home. You have work to do. And that's part of our purpose. It's our calling. Now, how do we get started? Here it is. It's on your notes. Getting started is just being aware. Being aware that he has strategically placed you in your home, in your neighborhood, on the job, so that you can be a light in a dark place. So be aware. Commit to prayer. Just begin to pray. You know, begin to pray for when Nancy and I are on our tandem bike and we're going through our neighborhood, we're praying for our neighbors. And we begin to pray and it is amazing how God has begun to open up doors for us to be able to share our faith with our neighbors. And it will blow you away. When I was uh, working construction out at Palo Verde, when I was on the fire department, I became aware, I began to pray and I showed that I show that you care and then be ready to share because I will guarantee you, God will give you opportunity. Now, you'll probably miss the first few because you'll probably be frightened. It's like, wow. But he'll give you more as you continue to pray because he wants you to help these people to see Christ more clearly. And, uh, and because you guys know this and you've heard me say this many times before. Everybody look up here. You've got to get this. Once, once you've tasted, once you've tasted a fellowship with him, once you've tasted a fellowship with him, you have to want everyone that you care about to know what you're experiencing and to experience what you have. You, you can't help but do that. If indeed you are really tasting and enjoying and fellowshipping with God, it just becomes part of that overflow of your life. And in fact, if you don't want other people to know what you have, then what you have isn't very potent. And so, how do, you, how do you get it to where it's more potent? Right here, the power to share your faith. Let's talk about that. So, the purpose to share your faith, that's our calling. It's why we exist, is to, is to know God, make him known, genuine growing, giving, going, all for God's glory. And then, the power to share your faith, it's the first part of verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Now, if you're reading from, anybody reading from a New American Standard? Anybody? 
Uh, New American Standard is a, is a great translation. It's, uh, it's more of a word for word, so it's a little bit cumbersome at times, as opposed to an NIV is more thought for thought translation. Um, we study from the ESV, but, um, but the word sanctify, it actually puts it in the New American Standard, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And the word there for sanctify is hallowed. Does that sound familiar? Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Now, I gave you a study you can do on your own. You can take this through the, with your growing notes, but you'll notice you hallow the name of God when you trust him. I've got some verses there, Numbers 20, 12, 1 John 5, 10. Revere him, Isaiah 8, 12 through 13. Obey him, Leviticus 22, 31 through 32. And glorify him, Leviticus 10, 3. So that's how you hallow his name. I like what John Piper says on this uh, idea of hallowing the name of God. It means put him in a category by himself, the highest place, the greatest value, the most supreme treasure, the greatest admiration, the most cherished prize, the one you esteem and honor and love the most out of all persons and all things in the world. That's what that means. So when it says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, that's what it means. It, it just, it, and, uh, and oftentimes I, and we all say, yes, yes, God, Jesus, he's number one in my life, and we really don't know that until we actually encounter difficulties, and then we realize whether or not if he is really number one in our life, because sometimes something else is the priority, our passion, our pursuit above him, and suffering reveals that when we have misplaced our identity or our, our security or, or whatever based on our emotional response to those things that we have given our heart to other than Christ, when they're being threatened or blocked or lost, you know, there goes our emotional well-being. And so uh, certainly suffering and difficulties reveals where our heart really is. Here's the next point in your notes. In your core commitment, so we're talking heart. So when, when he uses this idea, but in your heart, so heart is your core commitments. It's what you most fundamentally trust, love, live for, and hope in. So in your core commitments, let the greatness and goodness of God be your greatest wow. Yes, that's the fill in the blank. And mmm in life. You're going, what? This is crazy. Now, let me walk you through this. So, in your core commitments, in your heart, core commitments, what you most fundamentally trust, love, live for, and hope in, let the greatness, and I, the reason why I said greatness is because when it uses the word Lord, so, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. Lord means ruler. If, if you could get a glimpse of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, as ruler, you would go, your response would be, wow. And then as it relates to his goodness, it uses the word Christ, honor Christ, Messiah, Redeemer, mm, he rescues me. Now, now, why would I use sensory statements like wow and mm to describe this, this encounter, this experience, this, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Listen to what Brenham Manning says. No thought can contain him. No word can express him. He is beyond anything we can intellectualize or imagine. So there's no words that can describe him. And, and so I'm just saying, wow, this is an experience, an encounter with the living Lord and Savior. And in fact, any wow or mmm 
in life is a gift from God and a pointer to the greatest wow and mmm, which is God. Let me explain what I'm talking about here. Uh, I don't know how many times my wife has said, Ray, you need to come out on the back porch. Look at the sunset. Wow. Anybody have, ever have that experience here? I mean, we have some beautiful sunsets here. Or my wife and I, we're watching college football. Football's back on. Yes. Whoopee. Hey. Okay, some of you just now aren't too thrilled, but that's okay. But uh, we were watching, I, th- I forget who they were playing. I think uh, Virginia Tech was playing Alabama or something like that. And I don't really pay that much attention to who's playing or who's winning. But, but there's, from time to time, you'll get really a phenomenal. There was a guy that threw the ball down, the quarterback, threw the ball down into the end zone. The guy made this phenomenal catch, and we were both going, wow. Wow. And then as it relates to, and, and we all have those wow experiences in our life. When it relates to, mm, uh, my wife and I were kind of walking around Kirlin Commons over in Scottsdale, and we decided to go into the Cheesecake Factory. Mmm, I heard that. Yeah, chocolate caramel pecan turtle cheesecake. Mmm. Wow, look at those pounds. That's, yeah. Mmm, and wow, I just added a couple pounds. And so what I'm saying here is that any, any wow or mmm in life is a gift from God and a pointer to the greatest wow and mmm. Don't miss it. Don't let your wow and mmm terminate on something in creation. Let it take you all the way to the creator. Let those be spiritual experiences with your God. And so humor me here just a minute. So on the count of three, I want you to give me the best wow you can give me just so you kind of get, in, you know, get used to doing that as it relates to, to creation so that it goes to the creator and all that he gives to us. On the count of three, wow. One, two, three. Wow! Oh my goodness, that was loud. I think I, I heard a lot come from right over here. I think, am I bleeding out of this ear right here? I think he just busted my eardrum on that one. That was good. Okay, let's do it as it relates to mm, one, two, three. Mm. 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 The wows and the mms of life are meant to take us to God's greatness and goodness. By the way, you need to maintain that in balance because oftentimes I've been in churches before that all they wanted to do is talk about the greatness of God or churches that all they wanted to talk about is the goodness of God. You need to have both. Those are the two pedals on the bike that keep that balance. Because I've heard churches, they just want to talk to God as, he's my good buddy, he's my friend. Yeah, but he's your savior. He's your friend you bow down to, you worship, you serve him. So it maintains that balance. It's his goodness that makes his greatness so wow. It's his greatness that makes his goodness so mmm. And you've got to have that combination of two. In fact, it is, it is in the light of, of his greatness, his wow, and his goodness, mmm, that the things of this world grow strangely dim. See, trials don't loom so large. See, the reason why we're overcome by trials and difficulties is because we don't have a, a sense of his wow and his mmm in our life. I mean, hey, listen, I'll be the first to admit, man, sometimes I just don't deal with things very well. And, and they pile up. How many of you have ever seen that kind of pile up? You, you do really well for a while, and then just, you just, you know, demands and decisions, and they just all of a sudden, they, why do they all converge all at once right into your life? 
What's up with that? It's because God wants, wants you to take your wow and mmm to him and to find that he is great and he is good and he is more than enough to see you through. And he's trying to wean us from the breast of this world so that we can feast on his sufficiency. He's trying to take us there. And so what we need to do is not pray for less problems. We need to pray for more of God. God, show me more of you. Help me to see you more clearly. Help me to develop a wow and an mm that, that goes beyond. And so we tend to, uh, trials, trials don't loom so large and temptations aren't so alluring. You know, we sin because we're not satisfied with God. Did you know that? Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. I'm, I'm allured to do the things of this world in direct proportion to wh where I'm not finding my deepest satisfaction in him. How does someone overcome the temptations of this world? It's finding your satisfaction in him. When you find your satisfaction in him, you look at the things of this world as like, are you kidding? What I have in him? That doesn't even come close. See, that's, that's what he's saying. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's what he's saying. That's what that means as we live that out. Now, next point on your notes. Sharing our faith begins with a kind of explosion of joy in our hearts over the sacrificial love of Christ for us that grows throughout our life and can't be suppressed. So it's this explosion of joy that's based on the sacrificial love of Christ. Just, your heart is just captivated, it's overtaken, it's smitten by who Christ is and what he's done for you. And it grows throughout your life, it should be growing. You know, the older you get, the more captivated you should be by the glory of Jesus. I mean, and so is that happening in your life? If it isn't, it's probably because you're not really walking with him, there's something going on. You're just probably going through the motions. Because the, the older you get, the more you just are falling in love with him. When I first met my, my wife, Nancy, I was overtaken by her. And, uh, and of course, she fell head over heels in love with me. I don't blame her. And, uh, and actually, she literally fa fell head over heels. Uh, I don't know if it was in love with me, but she did fall head over heels because I was walking her out to her car after our Bible study that I had been leading at our church. It was kind of a youth Bible study. And I just met her, and I, I kind of saw her walk in. I was like, oh, man, I, I got to meet her before all these other guys meet her. And, uh, and so I walked her out to her car, and she was so captivated by me. And don't listen to her version of the story because it's not true. But she was so captivated by me that she didn't see the speed bump that she was coming up to. And she kicked that speed bump and it wasn't some nice little petite kind of like, oh. It was one of these things, whoa! Just almost face planted into the concrete, you know? And uh, I kind of looked the other way. I felt embarrassed for her. And, and she was, she's, none of that stuff ever even phases her. That's one of the reasons why I just love her dearly. But she's just like, wow, I'm so clumsy. No big deal. Didn't seem to embarrass her in the least bit. But, uh, but I was, uh, and the more I got to know her, the more I was madly in love with her. And uh, I finally realized out of the different, uh, you know, the, the billions of girls that I had dated that, uh, okay. It's getting really deep up here, isn't it? Um, that she was the one for me, and about a year and a half later, we were going you know, we to get married, but 
of course, you know, I needed a job, okay? So that's always a good thing to have a job before you get married. Because I was working a job, but it wasn't a good job. And I was waiting to get uh, hired through local 469, which is a plumber's pipe fitter's local union, and, uh, to be a pipe fitter. And I landed the job, was going through the apprenticeship. They moved me up to the Coronado Jitterating Station up at St. John's, Arizona, up in the White Mountains. And, uh, and oh my goodness, I was like a sheep thrown to the wolves. I was pretty much sheltered kid until I got work in construction and I was living on a, on a man camp right there on the job site and uh, the verbal abuse because you know, you're on the lowest on the totem pole, you're an apprentice, so they just beat you up verbally and the, the intimidation and the environment uh, of intimidating peer pressure and, uh, and how, how would I overcome all of that? Uh, well, we married, and I brought her up there with me, and I could hardly wait to get home every night from work to see my bride in our little 8 by 35 trailer. It didn't matter where we lived. I had her. We were together. And so I could endure all of the craziness of this job in direct proportion to, it didn't matter, man, we're in love. And it's that love that gave me that ability to kind of endure that. And these guys, and would you guys find it crazy that if uh, I was so in love with Nancy, but I never told my coworkers that I was married, would, would that seem a little bit weird? That they didn't even know that I was married. In fact, they knew that I was married because they wanted to stop on the way home from Spring, uh, from uh, from St. John's to Springerville and Eager. Anybody know where Springerville and Eager is? Show of hands. Yeah. So we live there. So it's about a, you know, I think a 40-minute drive or so from one to the other. And these guys always want to start, stop off at the bar. And so I would tell them, no, nah, can't do that. I want to get home to my bride. I never heard the end of that. I mean, they just hammered me over that. But I didn't care. I could care less. I said, I'll start driving myself if you guys are going to pull this thing on me. And it was no big deal. It was no big deal. And, 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 so, and, and you need to know this, that... But because my wife and I, and not only do we have a love for each other, I think it's grown through the years, and we've certainly had our difficulties, but the thing that's helped us get through our difficulties is because her and I both have a love for God that surpasses our love for each other, that our hearts together have been smitten, captivated, overtaken by the beauty and the glory of our Savior, and because of that, we have become better lovers of one another. Does that make sense? So, it's, so what I'm saying, you know, let me cut to the chase here just to... Tad, there's uh, a verse that I put down here, Genesis 29, 20. It says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Isn't that sweet? That's awesome. I know all the guys out there are like, that's too romantic. But it's real. I mean, that's our love for God. and our So... It, so sharing, sharing our faith begins with a kind of explosion of joy in our heart. I mean, I, once I got my beautiful, explosive, joy-producing bride up there with me, I was able to endure the difficulties that I experienced. The more you live in the reality of the joy, your joy in Christ... I mean, it's going to overflow your life. This is just simple transparency of Christ's supremacy in your heart. That's what, it's talk, that's what I believe he's saying here. So that as you, as you navigate through the difficulties in life and the decisions you make, people are going to see that because out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. 
So what's in your heart? If he's at the center of your heart, if he's your greatest desire, it's going to come out of your mouth. You're going to share that with others as you navigate through the difficult. They're going to see what you're devoted to. Those guys saw that I was devoted to my wife. They saw also that I was devoted to my Savior. That helped me to be more devoted to my wife. Okay. Here's the plan, and this is what it would look like. So the purpose, power, the plan to share your faith. It's not just the plan, but it's the product of a heart that is overtaken by the glory and the beauty of Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this is, this is evidence that you understand your purpose and are experiencing the power to share your faith. So you got purpose, power. This is evidence that you, you know your purpose, you're experiencing the power, and now you're going to be zealous for what is good. You're going to be zealous for what is good. And that's basically a quote from verse 13. He just says, be zealous, be zealous for what is good. Galatians 6, 7 through 9, it says that it really talks about the sowing and reaping. You guys familiar with the sowing and reaping law? We reap what we sow, more than we sow, later than we sow. God is not mocked. You know, he just says that you will reap what you sow. And so he's just saying, hey, be people that sow seeds of goodness and you're always responding to things appropriately. And don't grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. That's, that's what he's talking about there. Even when you're taking the hits, even when you've shared your faith, even when people laugh in your face, be zealous for what is good. Be zealous to respond appropriately. People may refuse to see the truth of our arguments, but they cannot evade the evidence of a holy life. J.C. Ryle said that. So a holy life is a life so full of the wow and the mmm over the greatness and goodness of God that no trial can overwhelm you and no temptation can allure you. But even if it does, you keep coming, running back into his arms. By the way, they will. Trials will over, overwhelm you and temptations will seduce you in life, but you keep coming back to him. Here's the next one. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay, let me, here's my second attempt because last week I gave you an illustration that I don't know that I, I did a very good job with it, so let me try it again. Here it is. When you give a spouse or family member or a child or an employee a task or assignment, and we all from time to time, you know, whether it be a spouse, hey, I need for you to do this for me, or your child, hey, I need for you to clean up your room, or, or maybe if you're an em employer with employees, you give them a task or an assignment. When you do that, do you ever worry about it getting done? Anybody? Yeah, do you ever worry? Are, are there certain people that when you give a, a task or assignment to, you know it's done? So you just walk away, you don't even think about it after that because you know it's going to be done. You know what I'm talking about? And then there's other people, you give it to it and you feel like you have to, and this was a construction term, but you feel like you have to bird dog them. You guys familiar with that term? Anybody? Yeah. You have to bird dog them. Have you ever had a boss that bird dogged you? Yeah, it's a pain. And it could be. Maybe you're not a hard worker, but it could be he's just, uh, I don't know, he's just a jerk, but uh, I don't know. Maybe not, I don't know, but he just, you know, he's controlling or, or whatever. And so we all have those experiences. And so why would you worry? Why do, why does it, why do some people stir up worry within you whether or not they're going to get the tasks done? What is that? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer to that. Why would you worry about somebody not getting a task done? How many were thinking trustworthiness? Yeah. Yeah, because they're not trustworthy. They're not trustworthy. Here's my point. You can tell whether or not Christ 
if, if in your hearts you're honoring Christ, the Lord is holy, by when you come to him and you're kind of navigating through life and bad things are happening and, and you keep bringing these things to God and you're interacting with him, but if you continue to have inordinate anxiety and worry, you are not in your hearts honoring Christ, the Lord is holy, and in fact, you are treating God as a, an untrustworthy employee. That's, that's how you're doing. So if you continue to have inordinate worry and anxiety, that's how you're treating him. You're treating him as if he is not trustworthy. That's the reason why he's saying, why would he say, have no fear of them nor be troubled? What? There are all kinds of things that create fear within me, inordinately, that keep me up all hours of the night. Like my kids and grandkids. And like people from Desert Breeze. And, hey, uh, and I mean, all kinds of things. And what, what is he saying? He's saying, man, when you give it to him, he's trustworthy, and you can trust his loving, wise control of your life. We talked about it last week in uh, verse 12. Let me read verse 12 again. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that he's, he's watching over you, and he hears you? Did you know that the reason why you don't pray as much as you probably should pray is you don't believe that he actually listens? Because if you believe that he listens to you, Oh my goodness, nobody could keep you from prayer. You're going to be calling out to him regularly. You're going to be walking 24-7 in communion with him. I mean, he's going to dominate your thoughts and stir your deepest emotions and move you to God-glorifying actions. But that's how you're going to live the life. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. So verse 12 is basically saying, and then it goes on in verse 12, it says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the Lord that God knows and cares and rules is enough. We're afraid to share our faith because we're afraid of what people think, think of us because we are getting our, our self-worth or our self-image from people and not from God. So be zealous for what is good. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. Here's the next one. Be full of hope. Be full of hope. He says, the hope that is within you, be ready to share the hope that is within you. You guys know what hope is. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's a confident, joyful expectation. So, so you're living with this sense of this. Uh, by the way, um, one of the reasons we struggle with sharing our faith is because we aren't feeling very hopeful. And, um, and the Christian life has become a duty to defend rather than the heartfelt reality of Christ and joyful hope in his promises overflowing your life. So hope is a joyful, confident expectation. It's a, it's a buoyancy in your life, though life will push you down. It can't keep you down because you find unbelievable pleasures in the eternal privileges that Christ has brought to you. And so you know when bad things happen to you, your bad things are going to work out for your good. The truly good things can never be taken from you, and the best is yet to come. By the way, the truly good things is what I prayed about in our prayer when we started. The wealth of his presence, that can never be taken from you. The wealth of his presence, oh, the comfort of his love, the strength of his power, oh my goodness. And how about the incalculable value of being called his child, that alone is enough to help you to face anything when that logic has gone from your head down into your heart and it is on fire. 
So that's, that's why it's, he's talking about, man, we've got to keep our hearts full of hope. We do that through spiritual disciplines, and hopefully that's why you're here today. Here's the next one. Do it with gentleness and respect. So when you share your faith, do it with gentleness and respect. Two reasons for sharing your faith, motivations, pride or love. Pride would say, I'm right, you're wrong. But love says, I want you to have what I have. This is not imposing, but exposing your faith. And, and one of the things is that we tend to treat people that don't know Christ almost like they're the enemy. They're not the enemy. Listen to me. People who don't know Christ, they're not the enemy. They are captives of our enemy. Always remember that because you're going to respond to them totally different. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. 1 Corinthians 8.1. Proverbs 15.1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, a harsh word stirs up anger. You want, to, you want to detonate a bomb or you want to disarm the bomb in that relationship? A gentle answer. Gentleness and respect. And then here's the last one, having a good conscience. Why would you need a good conscience? What is a good conscience? Conscience is like our fire alarm. And as a ex-firefighter, certainly went on fires where the house burned down and the fire alarm never went off. What's up with that? Probably didn't have any batteries or maybe it needed to be calibrated. How many have ever been in a house where you're cooking and the fire alarm goes off? Show of hands. Yeah, a little hypersensitive there. So there are those that are sitting among us here that have a hypersensitive fire alarm. The slightest little thing you do, oh, I'm kicked out of heaven. God no longer loves me. You know, so you have that. And then there's others that, man, you can do all kinds of wicked and evil stuff and nothing, nothing even faze you. So you need to know the difference between false guilt and true guilt. Guilt is being troubled over what you've done. So you've got to calibrate your heart based on God's word. So false guilt would be that uh, you feel you have the fact, the fact. No, I'm sorry. Let me, let me re-say that. Let me back up. I want to make sure I get this right. That false guilt is having the feelings without the fact. So you're feeling troubled, but you can't put your finger on anything that you've actually done. So you're just troubled. You're just kind of going around troubled. And you've, you've looked to God, you've looked to his word, and he hasn't revealed anything to you. And so you just feel troubled, but there's no fact. Um, true guilt, true guilt is being, true guilt is the facts with or without the feelings. So you have violated something that the, the Bible says, whether you feel like it or not, because I've had people say, well, I don't feel guilty. It doesn't matter whether you feel guilty, you did something wrong. Does that make sense? So now why would, why would he say a good conscience? Because you're gonna be slandered by people and they're gonna say mean things about you as they have me and I would be able to lay my head on the pillow at night saying, hey, you know what? According to God's word, I did what he wanted me to do and I'm cool and I'm gonna sleep. I'm going to sleep at night. I have a clear conscience, sincere faith, and a pure heart before God. And that's important. Always going back to the word. And always being open and receptive to repent and confess. When you are confronted, there's not a defensiveness. You say, yep, I'm willing to take responsibility. I'm so sorry. Please accept my apology. What I said was wrong. And and when when you live like that, oh my goodness, you're just above reproach. And that's a great way to live. Now, let me, let me end this. Here's, you'll notice the last statement. So evidence that you really know God is that you really want to make him known. I know a guy, and he came from really a rough home life. He was abused and abandoned at a very young age, and it sent him out into adulthood broken, really, really broken badly. And so he turned to drugs and alcohol to, to medicate the pain deep inside of him. 
When he reached his 40s, he just finally said, I've had it. I've reached the end of my rope. I'm, I just can't handle it anymore. And basically, he just wanted to crawl up under a bridge here in Phoenix and, and die. And it just so happened that uh, he had a, uh, his father passed away and he went to the funeral and, and he met up with a brother that he hadn't met up with for a few years. And that brother, and that brother and his wife, his sister-in-law, invited him to a little church that was meeting in an old burned-out nightclub over off of 17th Avenue and Bell Road. You guys know where I'm going with this story? His brother was Brian, Brian Newsom. Brian's wife was Carolyn. And they said, hey, we, we think we can help you. And they invited him to, to Desert Breeze Community Church right over here at 17th Avenue Bell Road. And Bill, Bill Newsom came, he came loaded, he came drunk. He came drunk and, and guess what? The people at DB, they loved him right where he was at. And they loved him right where he was at until, until he encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was never, ever the same. And we just did his memorial service this Friday. I wish you would have been here. Oh my goodness. There was a parade of people that came up here. I had to finally stop it. We would have gone all night. There was a parade of people that came up here giving testimony of how Bill Newsom pointed them to Jesus. Now, praise God. Yeah. Praise God. Now, Bill and Sandy Blackburn were here, and they'll probably be here in the second service but he started Celebrate Recovery, and I was so ha happy to see him. And uh, it was interesting. He came up and shared the story that when Bill Newsom started coming to Celebrate Recovery, I mean, he was loaded, he was drunk. And uh, Bill said that finally, Bill Newsom confided in him. He says, hey, you know, I just want to let you know that most people probably don't know this, but I've been drunk every time I've been attending Celebrate Recovery. And Bill uh, Blackburn said, no, pretty much everybody knows that. <laughs> uh, you're the only one that doesn't know that, okay? And so, uh, and, and, and that, isn't that true? We're kind of the last ones to figure out we're messed up. And yet there was this group of people that so loved him. And he heard the gospel. And that guy went on and began to, after a few years later, led Celebrate Recovery. Many people that are sitting in this audience have been mentored by him, pastored by him. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's what Desert Breeze is all about. That's what we're all about. I'm still living on the high of that. We're here to help unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, we are, we are amazed. We are amazed at, at your work that you do in our lives. And uh, this message here has been convicting and compelling. God, let us see that our purpose our purpose to share the faith. You have us here so that we can be aware of the people you've put around us, commit to prayer, show that we care, be ready to share of your glory and your goodness. God, 
May you be more and more, uh, may in our hearts you be honored as holy. May we be captivated and overtaken by your beauty and glory. May, may there be a sense of wow and mm in our lives unlike ever before. May we be zealous for what is good, have no fear, be full of hope, do it with gentleness and respect, and keep a good, clear conscience. And help us to see that evidence that we really know you is that we really want to make you known. May we not be able to keep quiet about you. God, I pray for those this morning maybe that have never made a confession of faith in Jesus. Maybe you're here and you don't even know what that means. I would, I would invite you now just to acknowledge that your sins separate you from God. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and then confess him as Lord and Savior. You do that by prayer through faith. Just between you and God, I would invite you to do that. That's the most important decision you can make for time and for eternity. That's what Bill did a number of years ago right here and it changed his life forever. It's not a destination, it's a lifelong journey of an ever-growing, pursuing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray for those that need to make that decision now. Be with them as they do that. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Scott and I will be up here, Pastor Scott and I. And if you're new, we'd love the opportunity to meet you, give you a coin for a free drink from our cafe and chat with you. If you'd like to have prayer, we would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning. Love you guys. God bless you.